again we've gathered for worship. I want to thank Pastor Hawkins for inviting uh, not only myself but some of the other brothers to come and share the preaching place here at Transforming Love uh, Christian Center. There's a word in uh, the book of Philippians, a familiar word because if you recall, I believe last year or the year before last, we went through uh, the epistle of the Philippians here at uh, Transforming Love. But there's a word that I want to uh, address your attention to, very familiar passage, beginning at verse 21 of the first chapter and reading down uh, through the 24th verse. Actually, I'll start at verse 19 and read down through verse 24. And it reads from the New American Standard Translation, For I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ shall even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions. Having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sakes. And that's where I will end. And the um, verse that I want to focus our attention on is the familiar one, verse 21. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And I want to ask and answer the question, why is death gain for the Christian? Why is death gain for the Christian? The text says in verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so in answering the question, why is death gain for the believer in Christ, let me supply four reasons why death is gain. First reason is because of the one to whom it takes us. The second is for the place to which it brings us. The third one is for the state to which it lifts us. And the fourth is for the reward to which it leads us. Now, those are the four points of the sermon, so we can actually have the benediction now and go home. <laughs> so let's see if we can um, put some flesh and bones on this skeleton of the text. Uh, much of what I will share with you today is from the uh, Australian theologian J. Sitlow Baxter. Uh, he has written a fascinating, he's written many fascinating books, but one of the ones that he's written is The Other Side of Death. And he writes from a Christian's perspective 
on what death is about and how we as believers can have a more biblical understanding of what death is about. And so the question has been asked, why is death game? Why is Paul, how can Paul sitting in a jail in Rome chained between two soldiers among the imperial or the praetorian guard. How can he sit there and say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? Now, just to rehearse uh, the context, Paul and his uh, missionary team in Acts chapter 16 travels to Macedonia, where Philippi, the colony, is located. They're responding to a dream that Paul had where he saw a man standing and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. His ministry team, when they arrive in Philippi, is Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. And they arrive in Philippi, and the record says that they uh, looked for a prayer meeting, and they went down to the riverside with some women f- to the place of prayer, which indicates that Philippi did not have a large Jewish population because there is no reference to a synagogue there. And so he finds these women down at the, at the riverside, and among these women is Lydia, a seller of purple, a businesswoman. The Bible says in uh, Acts 16 that while they were at the riverside and while engaged in prayer and while Paul was speaking, the Bible talks about the Lord opened her heart to hear the things which Paul was saying. As a result, she and her household come to faith in Christ and her household is baptized. And then they spend some additional days there in Philippi. And while walking around, there is this uh, little girl from Philippi, a slave girl, that is following Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke around. The reason how we know that is because when we pay attention to the biblical text, the biblical text, when he arrives in Philippi, the writer is speaking from the first person plural, we and us. And Luke is the writer of the Acts of the Apostles. So this girl is following them around saying, these men are servants of the Most High God and they are telling you the way of salvation. Paul, after hearing this many days, becomes disturbed in his spirit and he cast out this spirit of divination from this young girl who was being manipulated and exploited by her owner. The owners, when uh, they see their profit margin has suddenly taken a precipitous dip, they complain, and as a result, Paul and Silas are thrown in jail. The record says, as you know from the text, at midnight, uh, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God. There was an earthquake. Uh, The jail was shaking. All of the um, bands were loosed, and... When the jailer sees what is about to occur, he is ready to commit suicide. And Paul cries out, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. And he calls for a light, and he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
And Paul's response is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, you and your whole household. Now, from this text, we learn that salvation came to the jailer's house because each one in that family heard the gospel. It wasn't a blanket statement. When you read down further in the text, it talks about he called for a light, he, the, the jailer now, he cleaned their wounds, he set a food before them, and the, he and his household heard the gospel in its full, and as a result, they believed, and in, in response to believing, they were baptized. So when you think of the letter of Philippi, where we read the text from, have in the back of your mind, perhaps the jailer is among those to whom Paul is writing when he says to the saints at Philippi in Christ Jesus and the pastors or the overseers and deacon, among those perhaps is that same jailer who was responsible for Paul holding Paul in custody. Perhaps also Lydia should come to mind because she was in Philippi. Perhaps even those who heard Paul and Silas singing praises in the jail are among those. And perhaps even the little slave girl out of whom he casts the spirit of divination. Perhaps they're all included when Paul says in the first verse of chapter 1, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in or who are at Philippi. Now fast pull forward. In Acts chapter 21, Paul arrives in Jerusalem, and as a result of a false accusation, Paul is arrested. The, the accusation is made. He makes his plea. He appeals before Caesar. He is transported to Rome, and there from Rome, he writes the prison epistles, which we refer to as Colossians, Philippians, Philippi, um, Philemon, and uh, Ephesus, the, the letter to the church of the Ephesians. So there he sits in Philippi and he writes. Now you would think that there would be more on his mind sitting in a jail rather than writing a letter of encouragement back to these folk in Philippi or Colossae or Philemon or Ephesus. You would think that he would be trying to raise some type of fun, a get-out-of-jail uh, fun, or maybe a prayer meeting, or, or a social march, or a march for justice, or no justice, no peace, however you want to phrase it. But he doesn't do that. He sits in jail, and he writes back to this church in Philippi, talking about of the fond affection that he has for them, how he remembers them constantly in his prayers, how he is excited because they have been partakers with him from the beginning, how he that began a good work in you will carry it on to completion, and on and on and on he goes. And he goes on and he says, now, I want you to know, brother, that what has happened to me has worked out for the furtherance of the gospel. Because he said there are theirs, those there in Rome's jailhouse among the Praetorian Guard who are more courageous and who have been emboldened to preach the gospel. Never underestimate <clears throat> how God can work through seemingly unfair situations. Because Paul says here in verse 12, I want you to know, brethren, how my circumstance has worked out for the furtherance of the gospel. He goes on and he says in verse 13, so that in my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known 
throughout the whole Praetorian Guard, Caesar's household. The Praetorian Guard were those imperial soldiers, Roman soldiers now, who were responsible for keeping Paul in custody. And he goes on and he says in verse 14 that many of the brethren, because of my imprisonment, have a greater boldness to preach the gospel. Never underestimate how God can work even through seemingly unfair circumstances. He goes on and he says now, not everyone is proclaiming out of good motive. He says some are proclaiming, hopefully, to get me in more trouble to cause me harm. And he said others are proclaiming out of a pure heart. But he said, regardless to why, what their motive is, I'm glad that the gospel is being preached. And this is why I am rejoicing. And this is why I will rejoice. And then he goes on and he says, where we picked up the text now. He says, now I want you to know, verse 21, that this has happened for my deliverance. He says, because the ultimate goal is is for Christ to be glorified in my body, whether I live or I die. I want to have the boldness to be able to not only preach the gospel, but live out the gospel in shoe leather. And that's what God has called us to do. Not only to speak by word of mouth, but to live out by shoe leather. By actions and deeds, by attitude and by disposition, the truth and the reality of who Jesus is. And he goes on, he says, I want God to be glorified. And he says what? For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Why and how could Paul say that death is gain? Well, in this phrase, to die is gain, is the Greek term kardos, which has the connotation of cashing in both principal and interest and reaping the full reward of the investment. Okay, so let me see if I can phrase it a little bit differently. If you were to travel across the state border to the state of Nevada, There are various types of activities that one can participate in. And depending upon one's skill set and luck level, uh, they may return back to this state in a greater financial position than when they left. And one of the processes that goes on is, is that if you are fortunate enough to win, you take not only what you have wagered, but also what you have won. And you take it to the cashier's office, and the cashier gives you not only your wages, but also what you have done. Therefore, you have gained because you have won, because your winnings have exceeded beyond that which you have wagered. Gain, cordage, principal and interest is being cashed in and you are reaping the full benefit of your investment. All right. So now Paul says here, for me to die is gain. God had, through the Jesus Christ, had placed his initial investment in Paul on the Damascus road and turned him around and made him a preacher of the gospel. 
And now Paul has been working for Jesus and proclaiming the gospel, but Paul also looked forward to the day that he would see his Savior face to face. And when he saw his Savior Savior face to face, not only would he have uh, received with the investment that God had given him, but the full reward because he would have had all of Christ. For me to die is gain. And so that comes out of this term here, out of this phrase, kardosh, that it is the full return on the investment. And so in Paul's context, the gain would be more of Christ in his fullness in a place untethered and unfettered by the cares of this life. For me to die is gain. But he also says, whether I gain, whether I die, or I live, I want Christ to be magnified in my life. Why is death gain for the Christian? Because of the one to whom it takes us. Where do you get that from? Look at what he says in verse 23. He says in verse 23, I am hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is much better. Why is death gain? Because of the one to whom it takes us. It takes us to be with Christ. All right, so there's this image of being with him where he is, all right? There's the image of being with him consciously, consciously knowing that I am in his presence. There is the image of being with him locally where he is. Where is Christ? Well, Mark chapter 16, verse 9 uh, talks about how after he had risen from the dead, He ascended on into the heavens and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Where is Christ? Colossians 1 or 3 tells us, Since you have been raised with Christ, set your affections above where Christ is. And he says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, we shall appear with him in glory. Where is Christ? 1 Peter chapter 3 talks about a Savior who sits at the right hand in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And so to depart and to be with Christ is to go into his presence, into heaven, and to be with him evermore. That's the first reason. He says to be with Christ. The one who redeemed us and rescued us from the auction block of slavery with Christ. The one who reconciled us back to the Father and caused us to become adopted sons and daughters of God with Christ. The one who hung out on Calvary's cross and hung, bled, and died and paid the cost for our redemption with Christ. The one who went into the grave and came out of the grave on the third day with all power in his hand with Christ. And so why is death gained to the Christian? Death is gained because of the one to whom it takes us. It takes us, death is the corridor through which one travels, believer in Christ, 
to enter the presence of the Lord and to be eternally with him. Death is gain because of the one to whom it takes us. But then secondly, death is gain to the, because of the place to where it brings us. Okay? It brings us to be with Christ. And where is Christ? Christ is in heaven. A literal place. Not just somewhere in the ethereal, but original, a, a, a place where our inheritance is. First Peter chapter 1 says something like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He goes on and he says, and you have an inheritance undefiled, uncorruptible, preserved for you where? In heaven. And so death is gain because of the place to which it takes us, a place where our reward is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, a place where there is bloom without blight and delight without decay, a place where there is no more sickness or death, a place where there is no more confusion or disturbance, a place where God's presence is in its fullness. There is this principle in theology that they call the eminence of God, I-M-M-A-N-E-N-C-E, eminence of God. And it simply means that God's presence is everywhere throughout creation. There is not a place where you can go to escape his presence. I think the psalmist speaks of this. In Psalm 139, where can I go to escape your presence? And yes, his presence is imminent everywhere, but his presence is concentrated in one particular place. Let me see if I can phrase it and describe it a little bit more like this. The sun is shining outside. And we can feel the impact of its warmth and see the light of its presence. And we are sitting here in this sanctuary. Now, if we were to go outside, we would feel the sun more intensely. But let's say we travel to Death Valley where the triple digits are. As we sit here and shake our heads no and moan, we would, we would know for sure and be more aware of the presence of the sun. Why? Because of the concentration of its heat. Now compare that with going out to the coast along the Pacific shoreline. You would still see the sun. You would still feel its warmth. But it will be tempered by the breeze flowing off of the water. All right? And so there are places where the sun's presence is more imminent or concentrated. So what do you mean by this? Stay with me. I'm going on somewhere. God is with us everywhere. 
but in heaven around the throne, his presence is more imminent. It's more vibrant. It's more concentrated. And if you read uh, the Revelation chapters 4 and 5, you will see the fuller presence of his power and of his eminence there in heaven. Isaiah got a glimpse of it in the year King Uzziah died. He's in the temple and he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And it was on that occasion where God made himself even more known to Isaiah. Why? Uh, because Isaiah had been in God's presence before. God, Isaiah had been to the temple before. But perhaps some of the things that had happened in the recent days in Isaiah's life made God's presence in his life more concentrated. The king, Isaiah was a well-known king, and he did well, but he got lifted up in pride. And he went into the holy place and offered sacrifice, and when the priest confronted him, he got into an outrage, and in his outrage, he was struck with leprosy, and he remained a leper until he died as king of Israel. And contrast that with the king who dies from leprosy and the Lord who sits on the throne untainted and, and imperishable. And Isaiah says, I saw him high and lifted up and his presence filled the temple. His presence was more imminent, more concentrated because of things that were going on in Isaiah's life. And so heaven take, or, or death takes us to the place where we are no longer tethered with mortality. No more tethered with the aches and the pain. Death lifts us and takes us to this place. Now, let me say another thing parenthetically here that remember what Paul says. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, what was Paul talking about about living? Because living would give him the opportunity for more ministry for Christ here on planet Earth. It would give him more opportunities to preach the gospel, more opportunities to strengthen the churches, more opportunities to live out the truth of the gospel. But in spite of all of that would have been beneficial to the believers at Philippi, Paul still recognized that the ministry on earth was no way to compare being in the presence of Christ his Savior. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Well, we've said that death is gain because of the one to whom it takes us to be with Christ. Death is gain because of the place to which it brings us, heaven. Thirdly, death is gain because of the state, S-T-A-T-E, to which it lifts us. It lifts us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse, correction, chapter 4 and leading into chapter 5, Paul talks about the struggles in this life are no way to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. 
And then he goes on and he says, for we know that when this earthly tent of this tabernacle is dissolved, we have another building, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He goes on and he says, for this we groan, longing to be clothed with our house on high, but right now we're still absent from his presence, which means that we're still in the earthly house. The converse would be absent from the earthly house and living eternally with him. He makes a similar analogy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And he talks about, I charge you, Timothy, you know, to preach the gospel before the righteous judges, but preach the gospel be in season and out. Then he makes this statement. For the time of my departure is at hand, and I'm ready to be offered, uh, offered. Two parallels are there between 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We know that when this earthly tent is taken down, and I am now ready to be offered, for the time of my departure is at hand, Paul is using nav- uh, uh, language related to navigation or nautical travel, traveling on the seas. He had traveled to Jerusalem uh, by way of ship. He had traveled to Rome by way of ship. And when he would go down to the port, the ship would be tethered to the dock, But when they got ready to sail, the moorings, the anchors, and the tethers would be released. I'm a person who enjoys cruising on cruise ships. And I I like it because, you know, my opinion is the best way to travel. And one thing that has been consistent when I travel by ship, I pay my ticket, I go down to the dock or the pier or the boarding station. I get checked in. I get on board the ship, get the layout of the land, and usually I try to board around noon among the first people boarding. The ship usually doesn't sail until 4 or 5 or maybe even as late as 6. And there are announcements of we'll be disembarking. Uh, in one hour. We'll be in disembarking in 30 minutes. And then if you take the time to go to the uh, deck lines of the ship and look at the pier, you will see working workers lifting the tethers, lifting the moorings that anchor and hold the ship to the pier. If you're at the, near the front of the ship, you'll hear the chain where the, where the anchor is being lifted. And then you'll hear oftentimes a blow from the smokestack that lets everybody know that the moorings have been released, the tethers have been pulled, the anchor has been lifted, and we're getting ready to set sail. That's the language that Paul is talking about when this earthly tent is taken down. I'm getting ready to be released. Or break camp from this life. Another image that comes into play is the image of the tent. 
where you have the pole in the middle and the stakes that anchor it to the ground. But when you're ready to break camp, what do you do? You lift out the stakes and you put down the, the post and you fold the tent and say, it's moving time now. And so what is Paul saying? Paul is saying that when death comes, the moorings are released. The anchor is lifted. And now I can travel from this life to the next into a place where I'm no longer anchored to this life. It allows me to be released. In the words of the uh, old gospel song, I'll fly away some glad morning. When this life is over, I'll what? Fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. And what is the writer saying? The writer is saying that I'm no longer anchored on this side of the grave, but I've got my boarding pass and I punch my ticket with Jesus and he's calling me home and he's given me flight clearance. He's released me and he is saying, come on and be with me now because you finish all that I've commanded you to do. It's a transformation into a state of holiness. A place where our moral and our spiritual nature corresponds to the environment in which we are in. You see, our moral and our spiritual nature on earth does not correspond to the ideal environment. That's why there's sickness. That's why there's pain. That's why we struggle with sin. That's why we have hurts. That's why we have hangups. That's why we have habits. Why? Because our nature does not correspond to the environment that we're in. But when we are lifted to this new state that death brings us to, now my moral and my spiritual being corresponds to the environment that death has given me passage into. Deliverance from frailty. Deliverance from aches and pains. Deliverance from fanning. Deliverance from wanting air conditioning. Deliverance. Why? Because my state now matches my environment. And so the state to which it lifts us is a state that is morally perfect, that is fully righteous. And I'm now in a presence where I'm in an environment where there is no envy or no strife because now there is symmetry and correlation and cohesion between nature and environment. Then lastly, why is death gain for the Christian? Because of the one to whom it brings us, the place to which it takes us, the state to which it lifts us, but lastly, the reward to which it leads us. The Bible speaks of various rewards. In the passage that I read out of Second Timothy, when he says, I'm now ready to be offered, if you read further, he says, what, henceforth there is a reward 
a crown of righteousness for me, but not only for me, but all who love his, Jesus's appearing. If you were to read uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, you would read about a crown of joy. If you were to read from James chapter 1, you would read about the crown of life. If you would read 1 Peter chapter 4, you would read about a crown of glory. And all of these crowns are indicative of a life well lived and a life well run by the believer in Christ that God has reserved for them when he takes us out of this life to the next. The crown of joy that's referred to in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is linked to the soul winner and the one who has had joy from leading others to Christ. Can you say that when you get to heaven, there'll be a crown of joy? Will you see someone there in whose life you played a role in leading them to Christ? I didn't didn't say save them. I didn't say that. But maybe you planted a seed. Maybe you watered a seed. Maybe God used you as a roller titter to break up fallow ground. But you played a role in this person coming to Christ. And when you get to glory, you'll have a crown of joy having seen someone whom you have played a role. In coming to faith in Christ. Or there's the crown of righteousness, which is symbolic of our victory over sin and all of the effects of the fall. Or there's the crown of life, which James talks about, which refers to our victory over death. Why? Because the writer has said God will wipe away all tears from their eyes and there will be no more pain, no more sickness, no more death. Why? Because the former things have passed away. And then the crown of glory, which is victory over decay. Where do we get that from? Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in his treatise on the resurrection, he talks about beginning at verse 51. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because this corruptible must put off corruption and put on incorruption. This mortal must pull off mortality and put on immortality. And then he says, when this mortal has put on immortality and this corruptible has put on incorruption, then will come the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your thing? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Final victory over decay. So why is death gay? Because of the one to whom it takes us. Because of the place to which it brings us. Because of the state to which it lifts us. And because of the rewards to which it leads us. May you be encouraged. May we be encouraged. As we travel from grace to glory. From this side of the grave to the other side. May we too be able to say like the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. God bless you.